0: Buyers, and this is Successful Associations today. I have two guests today, and I'm delighted to have them here to talk about adult education, continuing education, everything learning. And as we know, that is an area that has been mightily disrupted over the last 18 months. So Lisa Steele has spent more than 20 years designing, developing, delivering, and marketing adult lifelong learning continuing education, and professional development. She co-founded Tagoris and Leading Learning, and through writing, research, and podcasting, she works to help associations and other learning businesses increase the reach, revenue, and impact of their offerings. And I don't know any association that doesn't want to do that. Jeff Cobb is co-founder of Tagoris co-host of the long-running Leading Learning Podcast, and author of multiple books, including Leading the Learning Revolution, The Expert's Guide to Capitalizing on the Exploding Lifelong Education Market. As a strategic advisor and entrepreneur with more than two decades of experience in the global market for lifelong learning, he has helped hundreds of organizations in the learning business maximize the reach, Revenue and impact of their offerings. Welcome to the two of you. I can't wait to dive into all things education related. So let's start with COVID, which is on everyone's mind, even though we can't wait until it's in our rearview mirrors. It has accelerated many of the trends that were already occurring in adult learning prior to the pandemic. From your perspective, what are the key trends that associations should be thinking about as we think about a post-pandemic future?
1: Sure, I can start with that one. and I'll I'll state what may be an obvious point uh, by now, um, which is that even before the pandemic came along, e-learning was an established fact, but even so, too many organizations still weren't really up to speed in taking their offerings online. And those organizations obviously have had a lot of catching up to do. They may still have a lot of catching up to do. But another shift that was also already occurring and that accelerated dramatically as e-learning has become much more widely used is it expectations for the experience uh, have, have really risen? And partly that's driven by the, the much deeper understanding of learning science and, and how we learn that we now have and just a desire to put that knowledge into practice. More practically, though, it's just driven simply by what learners have been experiencing out there and their desire for something better.
2: Yeah. And I'll add that you know with e-learning and really just learning in general, there are these Range of buzz terms uh, that creators of learning experience have to wrestle with there's you know micro learning there's personalization there's gamification there's cohort based learning and every association that offers education needs to be familiar with these terms and trends, but that doesn't mean they should go chasing after every one of them i mean that 's not a strategic approach, and it's not innovative either um, So really what's important is that this is a time to understand the broader context for your learners. What are they facing the overall culture um, that uh, they have around learning and really considering then which of these trends will help you best meet the needs of your learners, their employers, the overall field or industry that you serve.
1: And I'd add to that that, Everything that Salisa just said applies to events. You know, as organizations have had to move to virtual events, the same shifts and expectations that have applied to e-learning have started to apply to those events, and they're already starting to flow back into the expectations around the face-to-face experience as well.
0: So the bar has definitely been raised, and you mentioned something, Jeff, about associations grappling with it often in a reactive way Mm -hmm. you know because we weren't ready for it because it wasn't part of our strategy because we weren't aggressively pursuing e-learning or uh hybrid events we were really caught unaware in some cases and my hope is that we're going to get to the point sooner rather than later where we will be able to be thinking from a strategic standpoint and planning proactively rather than continuing to react so let me just, uh, let's talk about strategy uh, just real quickly here before we move on. So, Lisa, you mentioned some words that people should be familiar with. You also mentioned that they shouldn't be chasing everything without question. So, can you just touch on the strategy piece of it? And for somebody who's listening, whose responsibility is to develop an educational strategy, And I know this is complicated. Can you give us just a couple of starting points for somebody to be thinking about?
2: Well, when I think about associations, I mean, they're so grounded in the audience that they're serving, the market, their members. And so I think that's really the place to start. And it is about understanding that market, those members as intimately as you can. And sometimes I think it's very easy for an association to believe that they understand their member, but maybe that's uh, outdated. I mean, we're just talking about all these changes that have happened in the last 18 months. So any um, information that you have about your member base that's older than 18 months might need to be you know, revisited or questioned in the current context. So I think it's really understanding that market. And then because you are aware of these terms and trends, being able to Uh, assess each one and see, okay, does that really help our learners and our members and how would it help them? So, you know, thinking about micro learning, is that something that they really want and really fits in? Or actually, if you dig into the market, maybe what they want are deeper dives and that's the direction you need to go. So I think it all comes down to starting with that market, really understanding it.
0: That is a simple but very complex. And so, you know, I want I want listeners to pay attention to that because that is true anytime you're developing strategy, whether it's for education or otherwise, that really understanding your market is important. And you mentioned not assuming that you understand your market, especially in, in regards to what's happened the last 18 months. You know, the pandemic has provided a tailwind for innovation in education. How are you seeing this play out for associations specifically?
1: I think obviously there's just a lot more focus on education, and not just by education staff anymore. We're seeing the boards are much, much more attuned uh, to this. Executive teams are much more attuned to this, and I think for you know for people who are in education, the, those teams at associations, it's given them a license to to take more risk than they might have in the, in the past and, and to be comfortable with that sort of, you know, minimum viable approach to offering education. We've obviously seen that in spades with, with virtual conferences. Um, it's also given education teams the, the case they need for going to leadership and getting the buy-in and the funding for those new products and, and technologies and to pursue initiatives that easily could have never gotten off the ground uh, pre, pre-pandemic.
2: Yeah, and I'll add just as a specific example of this, we have run a survey and then issued a report around virtual conferences dating back to 2011. We're working on our sixth update on that report right now. And we last ran the survey in spring of 2020, and then we ran it this fall, so fall of 2021. Back in 2020, only 21.6 of respondents had previously offered a virtual conference, This year, 83.7%.
0: Wow. Wow. Big shift. big, Big, big shift. And it's going to be interesting to see if that is going to stick. If that has been a, we had to, so we did, or if associations are gonna capitalize that and make that part of their portfolio going forward. I don't think it has to be an either or decision. It can be an and decision, but it, but it's also a complex decision when you're meeting uh, you know, different audiences. Um, so let, let's go there right now. You know, So many organizations talk about hybrid events going forward, but I'm not seeing much strategy around the differing needs of in-person and virtual audiences. I'd love to have you address this.
1: Yeah, so this echoes a little bit of what Celisa was st- saying before, but I mean, I mean, strategy really has to start with a, a really clear-eyed assessment of your situation that, you know, what's going on here, and then real clarity about whether hybrid is actually a good approach or not. And I mean, to be honest, our view is that in most cases, it probably isn't, you know, from a logistics standpoint, from the standpoint of, the demands that it places on presenters and facilitators, it can really be a pretty heavy lift. And I mean, if you're just talking about, you know, the broadcasting of of general sessions, that may be fine. You know, arguably there's not a lot of difference, at least from an educational standpoint, between sitting and watching a large general session, you know, in, in a seat in a room versus doing it online. But, you know, for more focused learning experiences where you really are trying to impact skills, try to change behavior, You're likely going to be much more effective by, you know, serving the needs of face-to-face learners and online learners with separate offerings that really focus on their specific situation and needs.
2: I would just say, though, that those separate offerings doesn't mean you have to start from scratch. I mean, like Jeff was saying, it's very hard to satisfy the needs of both those in-person learners and those online learners at the same time. But I think there can be a way to blend the two, you know, a little bit of the flipped classroom approach. Maybe there's a way that you make use of technology before bringing people together or after bringing people together um, that could be very fruitful. I also think that you could take more of a a serial approach. And so maybe you bring people together for an in-person event and you're capturing that content and then sort of repurposing it, repackaging it for an online audience. So it doesn't mean that you're, you know, creating two totally separate, totally from scratch offerings. It's more about how can you serve those online and in-person attendees best and and thinking about which modes let you achieve what.
0: Being very purposeful is obviously part of this. I know that the National Speakers Association has taken a before, during, and after approach uh, to their meeting last year. They released some of the virtual modules ahead of time, leading up to their in-person experience, which was a smaller audience. And then they had after accountability groups who got together to talk about the impact of what they had learned and how they were using what they had learned. And I think that's kind of an interesting approach. I'm also seeing the in-person in in right now, in some cases, those uh, audiences are a little bit smaller. If there is live streaming, those in person audiences are almost it's almost like a TV show now where you've got your your audience really is your your studio audience, and your at home learners are the viewers. Do you think this is a a fair analogy and is this something that's going to stick
1: I, th- I think that particular scenario of having sort of the the audience in house and then you know people watching again it, it's probably going to be more like the general sessions where that's happening the the, the larger uh, sessions, larger breakouts, where really everybody's just sitting more passively and consuming content. You know, in those cases, hybrid can work fine. Uh, again, whether that's really education, whether you're, you're really supporting learning and doing that, that's a different question. Um, there can still be value in doing it. I'm not saying that educational value is the only value in, in event uh, content, um, but uh, I, I think hybrid will stick at that level. I think, though, again, when, when Organizations are looking to, to really serve specific audiences in specific ways to really achieve education. I think we are going to see them realizing that that's not the scenario that's going to do that.
2: Well, I'll just raise one example that we've used in the past. If you think of TED, and so you have the sort of the in-person audience, and that's really kind of like almost the, the VIP pass, right? That you get to be there, you're sort of out of the select few, and that you pay a premium to be there. And then ultimately the recordings are available, available for free and out there. And so it, it is interesting to think about it as a potential model. I mean, again, those are very, those are much more similar to a lecture, you know, versus an interactive, you know, learning session. So I, again, I think it sort of depends on what you're trying to achieve with a particular situation. And you may be able to, to leverage it and sort of have that, you know, in-person studio audience and that feels special and like an extra. And that might be something that does stick around.
0: You know, if I'm hearing you right, you, you, you're talking about uh, learning outcomes and the best way to achieve those outcomes. And I'll just confess, I'm not sure that when we're planning an annual meeting and we're thinking about just getting an agenda together and getting our speakers and getting everything up on the website, I am not sure that is enough of a consideration. So I, is this an opportunity for us to rethink everything and to question everything perhaps, and actually strengthen strengthen our
1: learning going forward? I think it is because I think you're right. It hasn't been enough of a consideration. And you know, as we already said, there there are plenty of other types of value that come out of events. You know, it's not just the learning, not just the educational value, but, that is a place where associations in particular already play such a tremendous role in society. I think, I think this is something that association leaders don't grasp fully enough that, you know, what gets provided in terms of continuing education and professional development through the association world represents the, the larger part of essentially a third sector of education you know, that, that whole rest of our lives after formal education, that's a tremendous role for associations collectively to be playing in society and for individual associations to be playing in their field or industry. So I think, you know, starting to, to focus on that more and what we're seeing a lot of organizations, a lot may be overstating it, but we're definitely seeing a trend in this direction of more organizations now looking at their content and their experiences and realizing, you know, Meetings aren't really something separate from education, aren't something separate from research and publications. We need to think about how all of these fit together in sort of a value continuum and, and what plays what role across that continuum.
2: And I would add too that I think that when you think about the move online and to virtual conferences, for example, it really does offer you the chance to not cut and paste and to really rethink. Uh, I know that a lot of uh, organizations uh, have... Thought about the fact when you're not, when you don't have the venue and the sunk costs of, you know, pulling people together and having them all there, maybe you don't have to have that huge smorgasbord of offerings. You can go more narrow and you can make this virtual conference geared toward a set of your members and you can make, uh, you can have a separate virtual conference geared towards others and those. Pre conference workshops, you can do those at a totally different time because you, you know, there's no longer that logic, the financial logic of let's group all this together. And so I think that's an interesting opportunity is to really think about who are you offering this event for? And maybe it's a much smaller group once you're doing it online.
0: I think a lot of times we think of meetings as being a in a defined space and time. It's it's a three-day meeting or a two-day meeting. And I think we're going to see that change. I think we're gonna see the arc actually be larger than just the impact of those two days, that we will see things that are released early, conversations that start early, conversations and networking that last longer. And so the arc of a meeting might not just be a mini arc, it might, actually, uh, it might actually extend. But, it, but that excites me because it means that we can do things different and some of the obstacles and constraints that we had previously are no longer there. And one of the things I'm really encouraging clients to be thinking about is taking the, what I call the 10% pledge and that is to innovate ten percent of everything you're doing, ten percent of your publications, ten percent of your your political strategy, ten percent of your meetings, ten percent of your education. and I think that way it's a little bit more approachable, a little more bite-sized and it doesn't feel quite so overwhelming, although I'll admit in some cases we need eighty or ninety percent innovation, and it's better just to uh, you know start from scratch in in some of our planning. Um, I'd love to hear a specific example or two of how associations have benefited from the pandemic's disruption when it comes to their uh, educational programs. And Jeff, you mentioned that in many cases, they're getting funding for the expertise and the support that they need. They're getting bored saying, hey, this is an opportunity to change things up. But how have you seen associations benefiting from this and what are you seeing them do?
1: Well, one of of our favorite examples was just um, an example of an association that realized really early the opportunity to provide leadership as as a result of what was happening. And this is the the Veterinary Medical Association executives, Ralph Johnson, the uh, executive director there, to his credit, he saw this shift coming he knew that meetings were going to be going online and his constituents are the leaders of of veterinary medical associations across different states so they all hold events themselves so ralph said you know this is a chance for us to model it to to show them what this is going to look like and to help educate them and and how to do it and uh, so, you know, this was very early on, in, in June, um, you know, right after the pandemic started hitting, that they switched their uh, face-to-face meeting online. We helped them put together a curriculum uh, for the the, the days of the, of the virtual meeting, and they, I mean, they got great attendance on it. And obviously, the executives who got the chance to be exposed to that and got the chance to to learn um, from Ralph and his organization the possibilities for moving forward, we're extremely grateful for doing that. I'm sure it burnished VMA's reputation greatly and, and enhanced the, you know, their perceived value among the audience that they serve. So we, we love that example.
2: Well, and I think too, that just more generally across a number of associations, we've seen the the pandemic and the current situation really trigger a comprehensive technology audit, right? So that they had some of these pieces in place, but maybe hadn't really thought about all the ways that they could integrate or what what other things they might be able to do with that technology, what additional technology they might need. And so, you know, looking at that technology and then also looking more holistically at at content strategy and Jeff I think you you know we're alluding to this earlier around kind of yeah not thinking about meetings different from courses different from publications just thinking about all the ways that you're serving the needs of your members and so I think there was just a real there's been a real focus on let's align across across the board in terms of technology in terms of content and and there's been that investment because there has been more board buy-in board support so you know if you need The funds to do that uh, kind of assessment, that's been made available. And then if it reveals that you need some additional technology or support, again, it seems like more organizations are finding it easier to make that case.
0: That speaks to uh, the value of an overall content strategy. And we just had a guest on uh, recently about that. So there's a nice little uh, synergy here between what she was talking about and what we're talking about. Uh, And Jeff, I was privileged to. uh, uh, work with VMAE using that model that you help them create and I can speak to the fact that the, the buy-in was huge. They've expanded their footprint. So people who wouldn't necessarily be able to make it to an in-person event were able to participate. And I, I think it's really, in some ways, it's changed the trajectory of that organization uh, positively. And if you take that and multiply that by hundreds of organizations, if not even thousands of organizations, you know, we've seen so many that have expanded their footprint and they have an opportunity yeah. now. So this was the gift, I guess, in in the middle of this really, really tough time. As we wrap up, what would your advice be to association professionals listening to this interview in regard to both the short term and the long term association meetings and education arenas?
1: You know, short term, it would probably just echo what we've already been saying, which is, you know, you you don't want to squander this opportunity to to be able to experiment, to get the buy-in and funding that you might, you know, have otherwise had a hard time getting in different times and to take advantage of uh, your member receptivity to innovation and and even potentially failure um, as you get out there and experiment with some things. Longer term, I think it's really important to realize that we've entered a new phase of maturity in what we characterize as the learning business, this whole business that associations and other learning providers are in. It's not just about marrying content and, and logistics anymore, that sort of traditional getting the speakers scheduled and the registrations process process. You know, you're seeing concepts like lifelong learning, upskilling, reskilling, just gaining so much ground uh, in in recent years. And so now, you know, there's a a much higher level of commercial interest in this whole market that we're working in. There's a lot of investment uh, going on. Yeah. Organizations that are providing education to their members really have to think of themselves as being in the learning business, um, and they need that understanding to be embraced by all parts of the organization, and that includes executives, the board, and, and your volunteer leadership.
2: Yeah, and I, I think as part of that, uh, associations really need to come up with a coordinated, cross-functional way to stay on top of the trends and the technologies that are impacting the market for adult lifelong learning in general and be prepared to respond to them strategically. So again, there's the awareness, which is important, but it doesn't necessarily mean you have to take action. That's going to tie back to your strategy um, and, you know, making sure that how you do respond or if you don't respond, that is always appropriate for your audience. You know, I, I think it just feels like a different game than it's been in the past.
0: You mentioned for profit companies, uh, you know, in, in getting into this space, either either more aggressively or more regularly. So that's increased competition for associations, but there's investments that are being made. Uh, I've said for the last several years that uh, collaboration is the new currency. Are there opportunities for associations to collaborate with with other types of organizations in the space? And are you seeing that happen?
1: I think there are definitely opportunities. We, we have not seen a lot of it happen uh, so far. In fact, we would love to hear from, from folks who are making it happen and then can, uh, can share that uh, with us. But certainly, you know, a lot of the commercial focus has been in sort of broad catalog type areas, sort of, you know, covering the gamut of, of big topics. There's a real need, though, for whether it's certificates, certifications, just learning pathways within specific fields and disciplines. And there's probably a lot of opportunity for an association to collaborate with, for example, a Udemy, which is becoming sort of the, the amazon.com of, of online learning. You know, what could you potentially put together in their Udemy for business package that would be valuable to your audience, to the employers in your field? It seems like there's a lot of opportunity there. We haven't seen a lot happen along those lines yet, but it, it just seems bound to, uh, to, to happen as we move forward.
0: Well, we'll stay tuned and we will watch for that. If anybody listening has an example of that, reach out to me or uh, Jeff or Salisa at Goris. And because I want people to get connected with you, I want them to follow your podcast, your white papers. What, what, what's the best way and the best place for someone to connect with you?
1: Well, leading Learning is sort of our, our initiative out to the world, how we kind of share what we know with as many people as possible. So if you go to leadinglearning.com, um, you will be able to uh, uh, get the podcast, get the blog. You can contact us uh, through the site. Um, we also have a presence through Leading Learning on Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook, and you can follow us in any of those places.
0: Thank you so much. I've appreciated talking with both of you. Every time I do, I'm just impressed with how much you know and how generously you share what you know. So thank you for being here. I'm Mary Byers, and this is Successful Associations Today.